Warning. This episode contains talk of suicide and allegations of sexual abuse. Watch or listen at your own risk. Hello, fellow humans, and welcome to Season 3, Episode 2. I think that's what we're... Yeah, we're on Episode 2. We just did a special. It's fine. It's fine. If you're listening on a podcast platform, if you don't know yet, of course, we... We're pretty obvious on our last episode, but we're on YouTube, so if you want to head over there and see our lovely faces, you're more than welcome to, and we want to say hi. Hello to you. Oh, Aaron, no. Oh, oh, uh, what have I done? But we're just, we're, we're giving you all the stuff in one place. Visual, audio, a new intro with visual. It's a good time over here, so head on over and... Again, say hi if you want to. Do what you want. It's your life. We're not telling you what to do. It's it's good. But we kind of are. But welcome back. Watch it suck. <laughs> no one is... Okay, yeah, we kind of are. Sorry. But welcome back. And if you're here for the first time, welcome to Crime and Theory, a podcast dedicated to everything outside the parameters of normal. We are your hosts, Ashley. And Aaron. And today... We are joined by our fellow Crit Keepers, because if you don't know, we play Dungeons & Dragons also here on YouTube. We are joined by our fellow party member and our Dungeon Master, Jason, who is the fellow party member. Say hi, Jason. Hello. And Justin, our Dungeon Master, aka the one who tries to kill us every week. Hey, guys. <laughs> so with today's episode tying so closely to the world of Dungeons & Dragons, honestly, who better to guess than these two, right? Yay! So, are you guys ready to talk about the Satanic Panic? Let's do it. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's get started. All sources for today are popularmechanics.com, which isn't what it sounds like, saturdayeveningpost.com, vox.com, oregonlive.com, geekandsundry.com, and history.howstuffworks.com. And I will premise this with the fact that we are all fully aware that the satanic panic went well beyond Dungeons and & Dragons, and we'll touch on a couple of things involved in the panic, but if we covered everything, we would be here for a month. And that's just not our cup of tea. Mm -mm. You know... Mostly because we would get hungry at some point, and we kind of want to eat food, because we're people. And I just finished my snack. So he'll be hungry sooner rather than later. Very soon. But the Satanic Panic was kind of the result of a perfect storm. And Dungeons and Dragons just kind of happened to be in the right place at the wrong time. And it wasn't even an unusual event, if you really look at it. People always fear what they don't understand. See, unfortunately, the world is split into the mentality of us versus them. If someone doesn't think like you, look like you, act like you, then they fall into the them category. And also, unfortunately, them means bad to too many people. We can go back in history when Christians tried to convert by force because those people didn't believe like those Christians. 
And we can look at the 12th century and honestly other points in history when those same Christians would accuse even the Jewish community of using blood from kidnapped Christian children. Go figure. In rituals. Yeah. That's why I'm air quoting Christians. I mean, I know there are Christians out there. I'm not air quoting all of all of us. Just those Christians that didn't really understand Christianity. Now, would, would this be an example of what may have started like the witch hunts and stuff mentality but the jewish people being killed by christians isn't part of that okay and i i definitely think too when it, when it came to the witch hunts it's 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 still the confusion of being scared of the unknown not knowing right. why people are getting sick and stuff right like or even a woman knowing things what yeah Fear of the unknown can take take your mind places. Yeah. Yeah. Why is it my crops growing? Must be this guy's fault. I always have to have something to blame it on. Oh, Must yeah. be a sacrifice done under the blood moon. That's the only explanation for our crops not growing on the soil that is infertile. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But the whole killing the Jewish community, of course, is exceptionally anti-Semitic. And this went on for literal centuries. In 1475, Simon of Trent the Simon of Trent blood libel even saw an entire Jewish community tortured, where 15 men were executed over the death of a two-year-old in Trento, Italy. And as a result, the anti-Semitic violence and moral panic spread all across Europe because of it. Oh my god. Because all it takes is one person's fear to just wildfire everywhere. Because, again, you want to be part of the us, not the them. See where I'm going with that? And let's have a look back at our very first episode for reference even and talk about the European witch trials of the 15th century. Those who are on the fringe of society find themselves targeted for one reason or another, and it sometimes ends in violence and death. What I think is sad is it always seems like it comes down to, like, the people getting picked on against the bullies. The people that are different and then the bullies with the power. Exactly. It's, it's crazy. And it's not a justification by any means, but because we need to be more educated and understand one another and look at history and learn from it. And I don't know, understand that different people doesn't necessarily equal bad people. I mean, like if those different people are killing your farm animals and sacrificing their blood to whatever deity they believe in, you might want to question where they stand, but without any actual hard evidence behind that, you shouldn't be going accusing people just because they dress a little different, act a little mm. different, etc. And from the late 60s, like the 1960s, to the 1980s, people were already on edge for multitude for a multitude of reasons. Because you had the rise of the Satanic Church with Anton LaVey and his writings when a good chunk of the U.S. was of the Christian faith. And then there were all of those serial killers from the 70s and 80s, which proved to people that you never really know a person, so you were suspicious of your own neighbor. And just to add the icing on top of the cake, the 80s saw the rise of heavy metal music and the Teenage Rebellion on a whole new level. And, you, you know, <laughs> I, I have to say, the, the heavy metal people, I, the fact that they use they they use the that panic to their advantage and kind of hyped it up they fueled the fire like a they did lot. they used it as shock factor because yeah, it drew attention yeah. to them it's what made them stand apart yeah so i mean i'm not saying that they 
they were the cause of it, but they not the cause by any means. No. Just use it to their own advantage. Yeah, it, it's like people find all these things that could be similar in some way, and they just lump them all together and just assume that it's all one thing. Yeah, right. Which now I mean, that's even why... oh, this. Sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. I was just gonna say, even this is supposed to actually be a ward off of the evil eye, not anything inherently evil in and of itself. But people take this as satanic. And I think, too, the fact with the satanic panic, you had the heavy metal, you had like ACDC and Metallica. You think of a man like ACDC who has songs like Hell's Bells and On the Highway to Hell and things like that. <clears throat> and a lot of the, the D&D kids, that's what they were into. They That music, it was... It was just an expression of themselves, right? Like yeah. it was just an expression, but like, people just blew it out of the water. Even today, and, heavy metal and D and D is like synonymous with one another. Yeah, because you don't really get more heavy metal than slaying dragons. Let's just be honest with ourselves. Yeah. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Very brutal. And of course, horror movies were taking off. So you had the movies such as. Friday the 13th, Halloween, A Nightmare on Elm Street, all of those movies where you had slasher flicks and nobody was safe in their own home in those movies, so people were paranoid. They were just really exceptionally paranoid at this point in time. Yeah, that's where people like just get so off the wall with stuff like that, is they can't separate fiction with reality. Yeah, and unfortunately, <laughs> that whole separation of fiction and reality people who played D&D were being accused of that because see the attack on D&D itself kicked off in 1979 when a teen by the name of James Dallas Egbert III disappeared this is exactly what I'm what you were talking about Jason that's who we're really going to focus on in this episode again we're going to talk on other stuff but this is this is the spark this is the catalyst of what made our favorite game the most demonic thing to ever exist for a while. Born in Dayton, Ohio, James grew up as a child well advanced for someone his age. He was even referred to as a child prodigy. James himself took, he really took to technology and he was really talented in that area. So at the age of 16, he enrolled in Michigan State University, majoring in computer science. 16 years old. Holy cow. Brilliant. Wish I was that and smart. <laughs> And let's keep in mind that he may have been a genius, but he was still a person with likes and tastes and hobbies outside of his education. He liked to play games, specifically Dungeons and Dragons, created by Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson. At this point, the game was only six years old, so it's still relatively new. It wasn't hyped up yet in the eyes of the population. And on the off chance that you, dear listener slash viewer, don't know what Dungeons & Dragons is, on the very, very off chance, to be honest, players take on the role of a fantasy character that they create, and they're guided through a story slash chain of adventures by a DM or dungeon master. That's what Justin does every week with us. It's a game of imagination and group storytelling. And honestly, it's the most fun thing that pretty much anybody can do, especially with the crap storm that was 2020 and that 2021 is quickly becoming. <laughs> well, James was going through some stuff in his personal life. And on August 15th, 1979, he left a suicide note oh, and simply God. disappeared. 
The stuff he was going through included pressure on him to perform well in school. Remember, he's much younger than everybody else because this is a kid in college. And he was also using drugs at the time, which did not help anything. He was struggling with his sexual identity. James was actually gay, and it wasn't a safe time in history to be out. No, it was not. Police searched for James, but with little luck. And soon after his disappearance, James's parents hired a private investigator named William Deere to help find him. Well, P.I. Deer noticed that James had a board which contained a pattern of pushpins that looked like a shape of the campus's buildings, including the power plant. Deer had put together a few theories and got permission to look down in the steam tunnels under the campus. When in the tunnels, Deer found clues that pointed to James having been down there, but James himself could not be found. So even though he had written a suicide note and clearly had gone down in the tunnels, he's not there. What happened? The items left behind suggested that he had been down there for the purpose of taking his own life even. And of course, the media was following along with the events of James Egbert's disappearance. And it was at this point that the media's focus on the case itself took a wrong turn. Deer had disclosed to the media that James may have gone down there while playing a, quote, live action version of Dungeons and Dragons, end quote, or LARPing, a D&D adventure. Deer also let it slip that the players might sometimes believe that they... Did LARPing exist back then? Had that I suppose so. I'm, I'm sure it did. I mean, I like, mean, even as a child, like... We just naturally would grab sticks in the woods and just sword yeah, fight. I mean, yeah. robbers, I pirates. Mean, I know laughing. everyone kind of did that as a child, but like it I'm, didn't have the term then. Oh yeah, yeah. That's yeah, what I was wondering, like that. if it was called that by at that point. No, I'm just saying it's LARPing for those of us today who know what that is. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, <clears throat> that's why Deer was quoted as saying. James possibly have playing a live action version of Dungeons and Dragons. And Deer also let it slip that the players might sometimes believe that they themselves are their characters and that James could be wandering around believing himself to be his fictional creation. Listen, if that were true, I would be walking around as Anya Kravaris, private detective 24 <laughs> 7 with no regrets. Isn't that this what does not happen. <laughs> I just got called out. I don't know how to react to that. I'm just just kidding. (laughs) Are you though? (laughs) Well, instead of presenting it as merely a theory to the media and sticking to the facts of the case itself, the media decided that they were going to grab this, what Deer said, and run with it. And made D&D the angle for James's disappearance i mean of course that's what all media does even today they take one thing yes and they construe it all out of context yeah and they blow they make up. mountains out of molehills yeah. and then big things happen and they sweep it under the rug because they don't want people to know about it that's not what makes good news what grabs attention is oh my gosh this board game that or this tabletop game is out and it's causing kids to disappear Gosh, so you know. I mean, essentially, I feel like we can blame the media more than anything for really starting the satanic the sat- panic. 
I mean, essentially, yeah, because they were also the ones feeding the fuel on horror movies, metal music, serial killers. You know, he is behind a lot. It it may seem wild, but I think a lot of the the issue with the satanic panic was just, I I think during the 80s, there was um, a huge divide between children and their parents. Oh, definitely. um, Like, I remember, you know, I'm, in my early 30s, and I remember, you know, at one time, people was putting down comic books, like Superman, like heroes, because they were saying, uh, because Superman flies, my kid jumped off the roof of the house and broke his legs. It's like, why was your child on the roof of your house? They yeah. did you know? that with Harry Potter, too. So that, yeah. in and of itself, continued on. Absolutely. But yeah. Yeah, I remember that, like, hearing stories of, my child watched Harry Potter. Now he put a broom. He hopped on a broomstick and jumped off, jumped off the, house the house to see because he thought he could fly. And you have to look at this too. You had the the people who were adults in the 1940s and 50s that went off and fought in World War II, and immediately after that, you had the hippie movement where everyone was peace, love, rock and roll, and that in and of itself was the polar opposite end of the spectrum of what their parents stood for. And it never kind of, it never really came back together. There's that generational gap has continued to expand. And I mean, we're even seeing that today too. I mean, it, it's crazy yeah, to see how history keeps repeating itself where like- And our, even amplifies in some areas. Yeah, like our generation is clearly a lot more different than our parents and grandparents. And now, especially, I mean, not completely. Our- It's a lot more different than our grandparents. I feel like our generation being millennials and my mom's gen, my mom was gen X. So there's not that much of a gap. My mom was really young when she had me. I mean, y'all's parents are probably older gen X or younger boomer generation. So I can see where you're going with that. But my mom was like like legit gen X hairband in the eighties kind of person. So that wasn't that big of a gap for all of us. Right now, us being our age and looking at teenagers coming up now. Or even, like, Justin's kids. It's a completely different childhood. Yeah. Like, it feels like, it it feels, like, I feel, and I see that generational gap already flowing through for, and trying to understand what these people, these kids see and how they function. And Mm. it's crazy and we almost kind of see so talking about the generational gap and like the satanic panic we almost see that stuff actually happening but in more digital world like all these creepy pastas and stuff like that that get yeah. really big because people are like oh my kids are seeing this stuff like, and it creates let's look at slender man yeah yeah or when that uh what was it nomu when that nomu thing was going around Momo? Oh, Momo? yeah um like that was a big. It was thing. just a, that's kind of yeah, yeah, and it was made out of nothing because it was a bust created by a Japanese artist. Mm-hmm. That's all it was, and, and all of a sudden it was like this is some creature. It. They yeah. put a voice with it and created this panic over it. So the next few weeks went by for Detective Deer or Private Investigator Deer, and he was following every lead that he could. He wound up receiving anonymous calls that promised James's location would be revealed to him if he would just leave Michigan. So 
P.I. Deer literally just packed up his things and he left Michigan so he could find out where this kid was. And the information led him to a friend of James who had allowed him to stay at his place. And from the way I take it, and I, I'm pretty sure I actually read it straightforward in an article, the way I, the way it is, this friend was actually well more than that. The two were in, I don't know if they were fully in a relationship, but they were acquainted more on a relationship level than, say, actual friendship. And James went to other places to stay so he could stay hidden. And eventually, James went to New Orleans. He was still kicking Holy at this cow. point. Whoa. This kid successfully just poof, disappeared. Wait, okay, so he lived in where? Michigan. Mi Michigan. Yeah, he was going to college in Michigan. And made it all the way to New Orleans. Yeah. So this friend wanted didn't want the heat of the media and everybody breathing down his neck. Because, again, this wasn't a time where sexuality was well talked about you were either straight or you were nothing there was you didn't talk about being gay or anything at this point in time and if you did you kept it way on the dl right so this friend who with whom james was in a relationship or had been in a relationship at some point something along those lines he didn't want the media or the police breathing down his neck he didn't want that attention so he convinced james like he said hey i'll help you get out of here and stay hidden but you can't really stay here anymore. And James was like, yeah, sure, I understand. So that's how he wound up in New Orleans. My question is, did he like hitchhike to all the way to New Orleans? No, that's what I'm saying. I think this friend paid his way okay. or helped pay his way to like take train tickets and all of that. Okay, because I was well, about to say, like, I don't think... Or bus tickets. Hitchhiking was like this... No, I safe... don't think he hitchhiked. Was was he still 16 at the time when he was found in New Orleans? Yeah. Wow. It was only a few weeks that he was gone, actually. Well, I and mean, eventually, like he said, he was a crafty dude. I mean, he was a 16 prodigy. That's that cool. is true. That's cool. Yeah. Eventually, James made the call himself to P.I. Deer and let him know where to come get him. He was like, all right, fine. The jig is up. I'm I'm coming out. I'm I'm going to come out of hiding. I'm going home. And Deer went to pick up James and took him to his uncle's house on September 13th of that year. It came to light that James did indeed try to kill himself back on August 15th by ingesting sleeping pills in the tunnels. Oh my God. But the attempt failed. And when James woke up, he went to his friend's house. Once the media picked up the case and the media circus ensued, James's friend helped him get somewhere to hide, like I said because he didn't want the media breathing down his neck and he didn't want their friendship made public. And in all of this chaos, James tried to actually kill himself yet again. And again, he was unsuccessful. But clearly this this boy needed help. He he was crying out for help. And this was also a point in time where therapy was kind of taboo. Not to be crass, I think the word I'm looking for, but did they say what he tried to do on his second attempt not with this one i didn't i didn't bother reading into it because okay. it wasn't really relevant either way but while he was in new orleans after the second suicide attempt he got temporary work on an oil field and he was still in contact with this friend and he this friend told james hey you need to contact this private investigator he's a cool guy he'll help you you know get back home 
everything's going to be okay. Well, Deere and James actually had a long discussion where James admitted that he was under massive academic pressure and felt pressure from his parents as well. He fessed up to drug use that also fed into his suicide attempts, which logically that makes a thousand percent sense. But he stated that playing D&D had nothing to do with his mental state. Gee. Who would have known? Surprise, surprise. It's like, you don't say. To be honest, if he had a group of friends that he played Dungeons and Dragons with, that's probably something that actually helped him. That's exactly more what than I was thinking. Biggest like stress reliever is getting into a D and D game and just enjoying your company, the company of your friends, and and it's cathartic because yeah. you're playing this character, this this hero that is part of you. You get to be the hero. You get to see mm-hmm. the value in yourself. It's you, this you game is amazing. To, I can't say you get enough to create time. something, not just a character that you're writing a story for in your own self, but you're creating this experience with friends that no one else is going to get to experience with. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and to be honest, it's a bond on a whole new level with these people. Like when you make your character, you know, sometimes you expose a little bit of your inner self. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, I, I know a lot of, you know, people that really don't understand Dungeons and Dragons, they've only seen it on the surface and think it's just math the game. But it you have no idea how much therapy this game is for some people. Like mm-hmm. there's stories of people that's gone through life altering events and they play Dungeons and Dragons and it helps them cope with what they've gone through. Can I just, I'm just going to say it now because I would be a hypocrite being an advocate for mental health and not talking about my own mental health. For two years after my mama died, I thought about killing myself every day, every single day. And I'm about to start crying because honestly, if it wasn't for you, Aaron, and, and both of you and Kelsey and Vicki, I might not be here because Aaron wanted to play Dungeons and Dragons. And I said, okay, fine, I'll do this for you. And I had no intent on liking this game, on playing this game in the long run. I was like, I'll do this for you, fine. And there was something so special about playing this game. This sounds cheesy, probably, but the way all of everybody just worked together and got along. And I realized that I was in a group of people that weren't afraid to be silly or act weird and didn't look at me like I was a freak or stupid for wanting to role play. And it gives you the sense of belonging when you live in a world that you don't feel like you belong in. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think, I think that's, that's what D and D does. It reaches out to people, especially the ones that are on the outskirts of, of, of normalcy. I'll say that with air quotes, normalcy. It reaches out to those those people, and it draws them in because it gives you this group of people that you can just be ridiculous with, laugh, and in, in just enjoy time together. So, uh, I think that's what's. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I guess. I guess with the the satanic panic, it was just. It was those. Air quotes again. The weirdos who played Dungeons and Dragons, and they had to figure out a reason to make their life more miserable i don't i don't know it's the wildest thing yeah yeah now don't get us wrong listeners and viewers 
if we are somehow inspiring you to try this game out, there are some, there's always going to be a toxic person out there. Yeah, no, I mean, not in every group, yeah, obviously. Not in every group, not, not in every group Jason. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, if, if you stumble across a group that has that toxic DM, that toxic player that's making you feel uncomfortable, just find find another group. I, I guarantee you there is a group out there that is great to play with and you that will make you feel like family because that's what our group does. We we feel it to, to me it feels like we're a family just from playing this game alone. Some of us are. Yeah, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, uh, <laughs> I mean, if you guys watch our Crit Keeper episodes, you know me and Jason give each other such a hard time. And and out of character. Yeah, but we do it because we love each other. Out of friendship. (laughs) 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 Define love. (laughs) But trying to clear up the matter on whether or not D&D was inherently evil to the mainstream media, it, it came too late. The media had already blown the whole gaming angle out of proportion. And because James's sexuality and drug use was kept out of the media, which is completely understandable, a mysterious tabletop game causing kids to go wild and lose the definition of reality versus fantasy sounds a lot more intriguing than the boy was just under immense pressure and severely depressed. James did try to build up a normal life afterwards, and he wound up switching schools to Wright State. And Deer and James even kept in touch with one another, like, for a bit. And Deer actually stepped into the role as James's advisor and friend. But that friendship didn't last because James fell further into his drug use and his relationship with his family wound up completely disintegrating. Almost a year to the day after the tunnel incident on August 11th, 1980, James inflicted a gunshot wound on himself. Oh, my God. He passed away five days later. But James's mom and dad came out and they spoke to the media. And never once did they blame Dungeons and Dragons. They never once blamed the one thing that brought their son joy. Their blame was placed on the, quote, unusual emotional and social demands that fall on gifted children. End quote. I mean, you know, he, uh, him being uh, gay at that time and era was probably one of the heaviest things for him to. He overcome. had to carry that burden yeah. to keep his life secret. Because I mean, being gay during that time, if someone, if the wrong person found out that you were gay, you're dead. I mean, That's people true. got killed just for being gay. Also, the drug use. Drugs are yeah. all, obviously awful. Yeah. And they, they're they either uppers or downers. And when you're up, when you come down, that's rough. And that puts your brain in some kind of spin cycle, if you will. And then if you're down and you take drugs that make you even more down, it's hard to climb back up. 
Yeah. And I, I think, too, with, with the satanic panic, I think drug use and D&D at that time was synonymous together. Yeah. And a, a lot of a lot of the bad stories that you'll hear involves those players being involved in some type of drug use, especially a, a lot of what I've read, like hallucinogens, like, you know, um, acid and mushrooms and things of right. that nature. And, you know, it, it's unfortunate. And because people did have actual freakouts from taking a bad trip and these people happen to play D&D, honestly, I hate to say that it feels logical to connect the two in that way, but it kind of feels logical to connect the two in that way. So even though it wasn't true, it makes sense why people thought that people who were playing D&D and getting high were blurring that line yeah. and thinking that they were their character. I just think it's funny that like that whole story, like the story that happened with this guy, like all the stuff happened and all the stuff that he was going through, none of it had to do with him playing D&D. They just took it and ran with it. Yeah, that's exactly what they did. Because yep. they, don't, they don't want to see any type of mental illness. They don't want people to be aware of stress that people are going through. And it's just... And the media doesn't want to recant what they've already perpetuated. Yeah. Then the next year, in 1981, Rona Jaffe wrote the novel Mazes and Monsters, allegedly in a total of three days. And you may wow. recognize the title as the movie starring Tom Hanks from 1982. Wasn't that like his, the worst I'm movie? I'm too young for he... that. <laughs> we've never, I've never seen yeah, it. Yeah, we've never seen it either. <laughs> You've seen it? You're muted, Justin. You're yeah, muted. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I have the DVD. In, in my entertainment stand right now, no, I have the DVD. What? Justin, y'all have to come over. We have to watch this. Yeah, it's terrible. From what I heard, it's like his worst movie acting. I want to say it was one of his first roles, too. Or one of his, uh, yeah. it was his, one of his first movie roles, at least. I can't remember. Yeah. He was very young. Very, yeah. very young. It's about a group of college students who move their tabletop game to some local caverns. And one of those players, Tom Hanks' character, suffers from mental illness and starts to believe that he is his character. Sound familiar? Just a little bit. Yeah, it's clearly based on the James Egbert case. And the same year the book was written, high school student Irving Pulling took his own life. Irving also enjoyed playing D&D. And that's, side note, this is a time period where D&D was getting kind of popular and schools were allowing it to be played on campus they would actually they would have like dungeons and dragons clubs what? where they would get together and play because it taught social skills it taught math it taught basically life things that you need to uh, know to succeed society started dying once they took D, &D out of schools exactly <laughs> that's it we figured that's out it. what's wrong school system Bring D and D back, right? You know, some schools actually do offer D and D classes. That's fantastic. It teaches team building and mm. communication skills. Yeah, and math. Let's not forget the math. There's yeah. a lot of that in there. Math, and then even like acting. Yeah, that is true. I mean, it really is a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. And Irving's mom, Patricia, looked for something to blame. I mean, let's just be fair here. Her son killed himself. She's 
probably at a loss. And when you're in your grief, you want something or someone to blame. We can't really hold that against her too much. And her target, unfortunately, wound up being Dungeons and Dragons. She founded this group called Bothered About Dungeons and Dragons, B-A-D-D, or BAD for short. Which, I mean, I gotta give her credit. At least it made a word, so good on her. And it was founded in 1983. This is two years after her son's death, though, so she kind of let this eat at her. And she just fed this fire in her in her mind and her heart that this game was just solely to blame. And she led a media campaign to take D&D down. She legitimately filed a lawsuit against D&D's publishers of the time, TSR Inc. And her reasoning was that Irving, who had played in his school supervised campaign, died because, quote, he had received a curse during the game session, end quote. If you're listening at home, uh, Aaron, Justin, and Jason's faces all scream, what? How? <laughs> yeah, because, n- not going on a rant, not going on a rant, Justin, um, but I'm right. just going to say, because, you know, like spells with the name Tasha's hideous laughter is just, uh, it brings up all kinds of satanic vibes or magic what missile. What Guiding <laughs> Bolt? Guiding yeah. Bolt. Which is a cleric spell. That, that's something that I, I heard so much about when I first started playing Dungeons & Dragons. Um, I come from a very, very um, Christian household. And um, that's something that I always heard. Like, you know, just, you know, I, I heard there's spells in there, you know, just kind of, you know. And I'm, you know, you start looking at the, the spells in the book and it's like, spider climb. It's like... It's just, it's wild to me. It's wild to me. I, I think if people would just do a little research, you know. Exactly. It, it, Instead of just buying into what they read and hear, absolutely. do the work. Put yeah. in the legwork. And just because somebody puts the word magic with it doesn't automatically mean it's an evil thing. It's make-believe. It's fantasy. It's Exactly. It's a genre that people enjoy just because we don't enjoy yeah. your genre that's normal. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> just because... Some of us don't like fantasy football does not make us inherently bad people because we prefer reading a, a cleric spell called Guiding Bolt and popping goblin heads like grapes. It, listen, <laughs> it's cathartic. Yeah, it is. I mean, nothing's greater than taking your Yodi battle axe and just smashing it into someone's skull chucking it at a queen's head yeah yeah my guy (laughs) and what about the spell that brought her back to life i mean that's inherently evil too (laughs) also that year a pamphlet was released by a group called concerned christians speaking of being raised in a christian household which claimed that DD promoted and i'm quoting here homosexuality sodomy rape and other perverse acts of sexuality Say what? Hold on. So, hold up. Anything you watch on television, anything (laughs) anything you enjoy in life is going to promote something. Something. That is not necessarily a good thing. And, like, like I just had this conversation earlier today where we were talking about how, like, when Harry Potter came out, Christians were attacking it and saying, not all Christians, but a lot of them were saying it was evil and if you say that this one thing is evil, you have to look at everything else and say it's evil. 
Yep. You have to say Disney evil. Disney's evil. You have to say video games are evil. Like, listen, when yeah. I was a kid, they literally came after Barney because <laughs> of his magic Barney bag. But they never went after Mary Poppins, who also had a Barney, who basically had a Barney bag, a giant carpet bag with a bottom with no bottom. So it's just here it's, we are hypocrisy. It's crazy how people can blame one thing, but they won't look at the rest that they actually enjoy. Yeah, just because normal people enjoy all this but they don't enjoy this one part they have to say it's weird and bad or because it's the same thing under a different name it's bad and just like how we brought up earlier in this episode when people don't understand something they attack it because they either they choose not to want to understand it in the first place or it just goes way over their head and they just don't want to and they say it's mm-hmm. evil. It's evil because I don't get it. And they don't even want to try. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They just put a stamp on it and say, nope, don't touch that. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, I think Harry Potter was had had cleaner content than most Westerns that people love or modern television show. <laughs> like, yeah. just. Yeah. I mean, why don't we just blame all the old spaghetti westerns for inspiring people to shoot each other in schools we know that's not true but yeah. i mean but blame like everything for everything else it feels like they're putting the blame on anything else but they won't say what they grew up enjoying is also a cause of anything yeah. right because it's not but for some reason the stuff we enjoy is mm-hmm. because we're the smallest group that enjoy this one thing it's automatically we're the weirdos and we're the cause for the bad stuff we are them yeah the, the outsiders yeah like i God, i remember like when Yu-Gi-Oh was starting to become a big thing that got slammed because yeah. you were summoning demonic demons and mm-hmm. stuff and you know i was also raised with my grandparents at a very Christian household and they would let me watch it and they never said anything about it because they saw what it really was. It they was, bothered to actually it was, check it out for themselves. Yeah, it, my grandpa saw that it was teaching kids math. So yeah, he got me the cards and I played with my brother and they gave us pencil and paper and watched us constantly add numbers all day long and that and it's like critical thinking skills yeah, too with yeah, all yeah. Different that's different the strategies effects yeah. spells and traps <laughs> yeah in 1984 pi deer remember the one who helped james he published a book called the dungeon master the disappearance of james dallas egbert the third in order to try to even set the record straight himself, emphasizing that this game had nothing to do with anything. It was just a game. But it was also the year that Jack Chick, an evangelist, released a comic called Dark Dungeons, which was designed to show people that the game was indeed satanic and that those who played needed to be brought to Jesus. And see, that's what kills me. Because all four of us, we go to church. We have a salvation with 
Christ and stuff. And it's like we have our own relationship with God. Yeah. We have our own beliefs. And yeah. Just because, like, when a group of Christians attack people for enjoying something, that ruins. It makes the rest the of us look terrible. Yeah. It makes it look terrible because they blow it out. <laughs> yes. You know, uh, and I, I've even said before when I first started learning D and D, it was from a very good friend named Vernon, a great guy. Uh, he was um, agnostic, but we was great friends. I, me being a Christian, him being agnostic, we had good discussions. I think that's what we lack in society nowadays is good discussions. Anybody but we had conversation. Good, yeah, we had great discussions, you know, and, uh, you know, you would hear the stories of, of, of people sitting down at Books a Million to play Dungeons and Dragons and uh, a group of fireball Christians, you know, air quotes, yet again, they come in and they watch for a second, they walk out, 30 minutes later, they come back with more people and they throw down church pamphlets right on the table where, you know, the dice and their miniatures and their books and everything's laying, and they just walk away. You know, it, it, it's actions like that that make the Christian community look terrible. Um, the things that the Christian community is not supposed to be doing, which is judging. And they have no foundation for that judgment. Yeah. Sad. It's, it's honestly sad. The, yeah. Those are the types of people that drove um, uh, people away. Mm-hmm. And started and the second really. Yeah, yeah. throughout history, too. Like I said, with the, the Jewish communities being tortured and killed and killed by, quote, unquote, Christians. Or what about the Crusades by, quote, unquote, Christians? They're, it's a mess. But Deer's book didn't do much to help ease the panic in people's lives, obviously. There was a preacher in Kansas who took his fear to an extreme. He announced his plans to buy up all of the Dungeons & Dragons copies in the entire state and Uh, burn them. Good luck with that, my guy. You know how expensive this game is? Not the truth. (laughs) I mean, granted... (laughs) You're not wrong. And they didn't have Amazon for for deals back yeah. then either. They were buying them straight off the shelves. And honestly, I mean, it was, you know, it's really good to know that this guy was more concerned over false information than damaging the air quality in his area. Good <laughs> on him, I guess. Yeah. Way to help the planet, preacher. <sighs> and it doesn't stop there. Of course it doesn't. Why would it be easier? Why it would it get worse. better? Of course it does. In... 1987, uh, Peter Lightheart and George Grant, they, they wrote a pamphlet called The Catechism of the New Age. And in this pamphlet, all these pamphlets, you know, what's, what's up yeah. with the pamphlets? <laughs> these people do not care about our environment. But they introduced the thought that the game was immoral. You want to guess why this game was immoral to them? Um... I don't know. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that it was some kind of weird sexual, like, like. I'm going to go with animal cruelty. (laughs) No, this is the, I honestly think this is the most bizarre because role playing allowed too much freedom for critical thinking and that critical thinking might lead to heretical ideas. What? So basically, yeah. we're going back to that critical thinking might make a bunch of heretics out of us. We're 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 going back to women 
being educated and thinking for themselves for yeah for themselves but uh, i'm gonna lost the words on that one when you think of some of the the true like biblical scholars like the splurgeons and so many of these great theologians, they were critical thinkers. Like, when you, th- when you think of people that change the face of the planet, it's because they're critical thinkers. Yeah. Like, and people that have that kind of mindset, they're not going to allow a simple thought to change their whole view. They're going to research it. They're going to look into it. I think that's really what shows the ignorance of, of these people during that time because they wouldn't do the research. They wouldn't look into it. They didn't care. They they heard something and they ran with it. And they probably they also, blew it up even bigger. They also think, you know, this religious guy's not gonna lie to me because lying's against the Christian faith, right? So that couldn't possibly be true. And you guys are gonna love the next part. On top of all of this, they also argued that the moral alignment system was inherently evil. Justin's trying not to spit out his drink. <laughs> That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. It's wild, right? Lawful good is inherently evil, guys. Wow. Lawful good. Lawful the good. thing is, is like, if them talking about how the morals of the game are bad, it's by the player's decision what they want to play as morally. But if you look at the world... There's tons of places that just have destroyed moral. <laughs> cool. I, Look at Hitler. Yeah, I, I don't. I've I've even heard things like um, a lot of like um, uh, even Christians nowadays who will say, especially because <clears throat> when I first started playing Dungeons and Dragons, I was introduced to Dungeons and Dragons during a point uh, called three point five. Fourth edition had already come out. But I was playing an edition called 3.5. <clears throat> and they was trying to explain what charisma was in the 3.5 player's handbook. And one of the things said that uh, if you look at charisma, you would look at someone like Hitler. Because he could speak in a way that literally entranced a whole country. Just by the way he spoke. You can watch. I don't, I don't know German. I, I can barely speak English. But I can, I can watch a video of, of Hitler stand at his podium and speak to his people and see how entranced and intoxicated by his words he was. Just how he could just speak so well. He was very charismatic. And I've heard people say, yeah, yeah it's, it's satanic because they say that Nazis are good in that book. And I'm like, where do they say that? Where they say that, that Hitler was charismatic. Well, that's just yeah. the truth. He yeah. was. Was he a terrible person? Absolutely. But, but I mean, you really gotta wild. face the facts. That dude was very charismatic. Because Absolutely. if he wasn't, people wouldn't have followed him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. They but, gotta find something to attack. Yeah. But what gets me is that we have characters with alignments. Like you have the lawful good clerics who go around in the name of their God, healing people, donating to the poor, helping the sick, 
whatever it takes to make the world better. But see, but see, here's this is how that exactly so evil because it's a different god. But it's a fake god. That's where people attack it just because they're they can't separate fiction and reality. Yeah, and like I mean that happens with tons of stuff, and that's what their go-to is is they just can't separate it. Like, I, I have to think to myself, if people actually did the research, what they would have done l- with Star Wars. Like, Star Wars has the fates, which is basically the deities in, mm-hmm. in Star Wars. Like, what would they have done had they actually looked into that? You know, like, it's it's fake. It, it's fake. It's but not like, real. Like in Star Wars, are... saying being a Jedi was like a religion, basically. Yeah. It's a religion in real life now because of it. But, I mean, yeah. <laughs> this is the way. <laughs> but, I mean, in all sincerity, there are definitely some Catholic undertones in Star Wars. But, ultimately, Star Wars is still fiction. It's just fiction. It's there for the purpose of entertainment, just like this game. It's also beautiful. <laughs> Jason. It is very good. Just not the first three movies that came out. And that's how the podcast tanks. Thank you, Jason. <laughs> <I'm leaving. laughs> we we do not endorse anything that Jason says. Attacking. The opinions represented on this show by people who are not <laughs> us do not represent this podcast. Let's just leave yeah. it at that. This man don't even like Bill and Ted. I know. He's so wrong. I don't like Bill and Ted either. And... I mean, Justin, because I know that you are probably the most versed in the alignment system because you've played a lot longer than Aaron and I have, and I know you've DM'd a lot, so you have to be well-versed in that. Do you want to explain to our viewers and listeners what the alignment system actually is? Oh, yeah. Um, So the alignment system is basically just a way to kind of describe how your character acts or would act during certain situations. So let's say you have a character that is lawful good. If the the party comes into conflict with an enemy, maybe someone who is lawful good would rather take that enemy captive, those bandits captive, and would rather take them because they're lawful to the the courts or the, the, the lawmasters, whatever it is, and have them to jail if they're more chaotic maybe they're like well these guys have killed a lot of people let's get rid of them and make sure that they're done so they they can't do it anymore it all it is is a way to kind of have a feeling of the the moral compass a little bit sometimes of where your character would go but the thing about the the this system is you can have a a evil character and it doesn't make them like this terrible person they don't have to be that way in with D, you can be evil and still have people that you care for that you want to protect because it's your people it's it's your group it's 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 a wild thing it's with with this system you can it's your moral compass but it's something that can help build a character into growing into someone that is is better uh growing right. into someone that is um uh 
they have challenges in life, just like any of us. We have decisions that we have to make that may not always feel great. Um, but it's, it's those tough decisions that kind of build you as a person. It's the same thing with the characters. There's things that help these characters build. If you have a, someone who had to, let's say, give their child up for adoption, and you get to a point where you're in this game and you have to make this decision for this child, whether to take them with you or, or trust this, this family to drop this child off with, what are you going to do? Maybe it's a way that it can help you adapt and, and kind of cope with the decisions that's come in real life. It, it, it's, I, I think it's a great thing, and, and it's fun too sometimes. But like... Evil. The, the whole system itself is used by actors. I mean, not the D&D, the D&D version of it. But when these actors play a role, they have to get in a mindset as they, okay, this character is evil. Like, you're this playing the villain? Okay, okay, you're going to be yeah, chaotic this... evil, lawful evil, or neutral evil. Exactly. What are you? But, like, and people, <clears throat> just because it's D&D, they have to attack it. But, like I said, they use it in games, they use it in movies, TV shows... Is just everywhere. Even yeah. real life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go ahead, Aaron. I mean, like, look at, uh, God, I can't remember his name at the top of my head, but uh, he played the Joker really Heath well. Heath Ledger. Yeah, Heath Ledger. I mean, he took that mindset, like, okay, the Joker is this chaotic, evil guy, and really put himself in his shoes to the point where I mean honestly probably the best Joker ever I mean you know it it didn't end well for him because I think he put himself too far into that character but but that's on. because he was also a method actor yeah but because he recognized the Joker as a chaotic evil character he threw himself into that chaotic evil mindset. Yeah. In order to give this character actual depth and to create something that people were entertained by and that people still talk about how many years after the movie. Yeah. But in this time, because of all of this going on, all of this craziness and certain churches and religious figures perpetuating that this game is super evil because, I mean, really... Parents literally started to force their kids to burn their books and their miniatures, and that hurts to say, oh, because this stuff is not cheap, and this stuff not. is precious to those of us who play. <laughs> oh, Justin. You, you gotta burn that, that $200 dragon miniature like, you got back there. Yeah, yeah. It kills me to see where parents like spend money on their kid for this type of stuff, and then turn around and say, oh, you have to destroy it now. Because like, the media says waste, it's bad. Yeah, what a waste of money for one. Yeah. But, like, yeah. Justin's got a figure up there that's, like, worth a $1,000 because it's old. <laughs> and, like, they could have sold that stuff down the road if they didn't agree with it, just kept it and sold it. Yeah. I mean, look at the cost of Pokemon cards now. They went from being a couple dollars a pack to one card almost being almost a million dollars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... Mr. Gygax himself. No, they didn't. But Mr. Gygax himself 
the creator of the game. He who we don't worship, but we admire greatly. He gave his perspective on the matter in his 1987. See, I can't speak English either. Don't worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) In his 1987 book called Role Playing Mastery. In this book, he says it is ahistorical for critics to, quote, attribute war, killing, and violence to film, TV, and role-playing games. Which is absolutely true, because there was a time in history before all of these things, and hatred and fear and violence and death still existed. Yeah. And also... It is um, a matter of the heart. It's not the content of... And they didn't have anything to blame it on until a new game showed up. And a lot of people don't understand is that Dungeons & Dragons was... I want to say an add-on supplement to a war tabletop game. And what gets me is that it was heavily influenced by great by one of the best novels ever written, which is more great best trilogies ever written, which is Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And of course, The Hobbit before that. So nobody's out there burning Lord of the Rings. All you're doing is playing your own character in basically the same setting. How is that? It doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. In 1988, Tracy Hickman, who was the author or who is the author of Ravenloft and Dragonlance, published an essay in which he encouraged his he encouraged players to communicate with their parents and pastors alike and even invite them to sit in or participate in sessions to show them the truth about the game. Hickman was a devout Mormon himself. And playing D&D was still a pastime of his. I mean, when you can be a fake, then still have fun. And not be evil. And the cool thing is that this article that he wrote was actually really well received. So, we're starting to see a light at the end of the tunnel, right? No, of course not. Just when players thought they could see this light, something else happened. Chris Pritchard and two friends that he played D&D with got together and conspired to murder Pritchard's stepdad. Even though Pritchard clearly had a financial motive to kill his stepdad, the media zeroed in on the fact that those three played D&D together. Wow. It got so bad that TSR Inc., and I don't know if this is fully correlated, but it seems pretty coincidental... But TSR Inc. released Advanced Dungeons & Dragons 2nd Edition while the Pritchard case was going on. And they replaced the word demon with words like Tanari and Batezu. Which sounds more demonic than the word demon. But because it wasn't the word demon, they couldn't attack it. Thankfully, I'm kind of here at the end of the D&D train of the Satanic Panic. And I'm sure I'm skipping over a lot because we would be here for a month of Sundays if I wasn't. But in 1997, the end was finally nigh. Two things happened to welcome the dawn of a new age for TTRPGs. Patricia Poling passed away, which is sad, but it brought about the disbanding of BADD. And a new company purchased the game from TSR. That company is Wizards of the Coast. The game's popularity had actually died down some because of the whole satanic panic. People weren't buying it off the shelves as quickly as they had been before. And it kind of stopped being so rebellious after a while, too. 
But Wizards of the Coast was able to revive the game, and they even evolved it into the game that we all know and love today. And honestly, the best part, I just find this so funny. This is like a slap in the face to the satanic panic. But Wizards of the Coast released one of their books. And this book was called Guide to Hell. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. course. (laughs) And like I said, the panic wasn't solely based on tabletop gamers and tabletop games. Geraldo Rivera's documentary on devil worship, aptly named Devil Worship Exposing Satan's Underground, was literally the highest rated TV documentary ever at the time of its airing. There was also a 1991 episode of 2020, which showed an official Roman Catholic exorcism. So people's fear of demons kind of surfaced even more so. And there were a bunch of false accusations of satanic ritual abuse at daycares during the 1980s and adults quote unquote recalling being abused for the sake of satanic worship. Mike Wark, an evangelist, discussed spending his childhood and young adult life partaking in quote intense I'm sorry, in quote, in quote, intense Satan, satanic worship in his book, Satan Seller. He made some claims of having served as a satanic high priest and partaking in satanic orgies. Oh my God. 20 years later, Wark was fully discredited. He made the whole thing up and the fear mongering he partook in was purposeless. And a memoir came out in the 1980s, 1980 exactly to be truthful called Michelle Remembers, and this book became a bestseller. It detailed a childhood spent undergoing massive amount, a massive amount of occult sexual abuse. The authors of the book were psychologist Lawrence Pazder and his wife, Michelle Smith, who was a former patient of Pazder. That just seems hinky to me. She's his former patient. Isn't that a no-no? Should be, yep. I'm pretty sure that's like patient confidentiality, I yeah. believe. I mean, something. I guess if he got permission, but who well, wants to, like, really go out? I mean, maybe if she stopped being his patient, it was kosher, but I don't know if it was before she stopped being his patient, so I don't, it just feels hinky. <clears throat> and Pazder claimed that his wife had regressed into childhood through hypnosis, and he supposedly helped her uncover memories of her abuse at the hands of members of the Satanic Church. Now, this were any Satanic of them Church, playing D&D? No, no, we're at the end of the D&D yeah, but like, all of all play D and D though, right? Oh, that's right. Of course. How could I be so silly? <laughs> they had to. <laughs> <laughs> but the Satanic Church, according to Pazder, was older than Anton Lavey's version of the Satanic Church by centuries. And right out of the gate, almost the claims and allegations were proven to be completely false, and the memoir was discredited. But yet again, the media blew it. They treated Pazder and his wife as experts in the area of regressed or repressed memories and all of that. And they acted like their false accounts were actually gospel. Meanwhile, in Bakersfield, California, social workers were actually using this garbage book as part of their training. Social workers. People are supposed to be helping children, but this is doing more harm than good. And coincidentally, a number of kids started to come forward saying that they had been molested as part of a local occult sex ring. It was found out that two of the girls who came forward had actually been coached by a grandparent who was clinically speaking mentally ill. Over the following months, their stories warped and mutated into increasingly bizarre tales. 
They claim to have been hung up by hooks in the family's living room and forced to drink blood and watch ritual baby sacrifices. This chaos, right? This chaos continued between 1984 and 1986. 26 people were sent to jail for accusations like this, despite absolutely no evidence. See, that's what I was going to say. Is like, was there ever any evidence for any of this stuff? Oh. Because there would have to be children missing. Yeah. For all the Like, Sorry, if there's a baby sacrifice, somebody's missing their baby, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, like, how would this go unnoticed with people disappearing and the media is just like, you know what? Boom. (laughs) Now, now I I will say something on that, and and y'all have touched on human trafficking, you know, before. Uh, it's an awful thing. I think we can all, I think we can all agree that it's um, an awful thing that um, we hope and pray that we can get out of this awful thing that's just enveloped our world. Yeah. Um, but you got to think of these like third world countries where they're they don't know when children are born. You know, and. A lot of these mothers are already in uh, slavery, sex slavery, and everything like that. These babies are born, and they're taken, and we don't know what's done with them. We don't know who they're sold to. You know, there, there are things like that. That is true. And, I mean, I see where you're going with this, even though this is an American daycare, so people had to have money to send their kids to daycare. These babies if there had been, could have been purchased from traffickers. Is that what you're getting at? Okay. So that, I mean, that makes absolute sense. It's just that it was happening awfully frequently in a lot of places. I'm not saying that it's never happened. I'm just saying this is just a bit much. And and also the disposal of all the blood, all the dead baby bodies. I mean... Come on. You can't hide that. You will eventually... Eventually, somebody's going to yeah. see it. Or mm-hmm. smell it. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, and it popping up all over the place, that's just what we see today, too, is just an attention grab. I want to be on the news. I want to say this and be everywhere. <laughs> and and children love attention. Just for my children. That's very true. The other day... Me, my wife, my two boys were going down the road, and my youngest son, he is four, he says, um, he says, yeah, I, I, I can't remember the kid's name. I'm going to say Trevor. He goes, yeah, Trevor's mean to me at school. And I was like, really? What does, what does, what does he do? And he goes, well, he's just mean to me. And I'm like, well, what, do, what does the teacher do when he's mean to you? And he goes, well, she walks up. And she punches him in the face, and he goes running away. And it's things like that. Like, kids are going to be ridiculous and say ridiculous things, especially for attention. So, but I think during these times of just wild accusations, like, when they say something, it's like everybody's got to grab every little bit of gossip that they can and just make it the wildest story possible. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, bad things do happen to children, and when they speak up, we should absolutely listen. But unfortunately, too, such as those two girls with the mentally ill grandmother, kids want to please their grandparents and their parents, and it's easy to manipulate a child. And so the 
satanic worship and occult rituals and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, because... Kind of flew off the... Most children take everything that their adults that they live with as law. Sure. Because we think our parents know everything when we're kids. We think our grandparents know even more than that. Yeah. So why would... Like, why... Why would they be lying to me? Is probably what the child's thinking. Why? And they trust that that person's not going to tell them to do anything that would ultimately hurt someone or hurt themselves. Yeah. It's chaos. And this whole satanic panic thing is absolute chaos. These accusations came about thanks to psychotherapy, strangely enough. It became cutting a cutting-edge practice for a therapist to try to surface repressed memories. And the only problem was instead of putting people under hypnosis and asking simple questions, these therapists would ask questions that would lead their patient, which, of course, can brew up false memories and convince them that these false memories are real. So basically these it's pa- like gaslighting. Kind of, yeah. I mean, it's very toxic. It's, it's abusive. Let's just be honest. It's mentally abusive. And these patients became convinced of all types of torture and cultist rituals. It was ridiculous. And maybe some of these therapists inadvertently caused these false memories. I don't think all of them had this cruel intent, per se. But it sounds like these therapists, a lot of these therapists, wanted to be renowned in the therapy world. And they would do anything at any cost to be the leading therapist in this new cutting-edge therapy. So to sum all of this up in one sentence, the mainstream media and psychotherapists manipulated the masses into buying into a false narrative. Like we said at the beginning, some things never change. Mm -hmm. Even with all of this information, the satanic panic had even more components than this, but we can actually learn something as a whole with this episode. People can't be trusted as a whole. The media is out for itself, and they're selling you headlines over fact. They care about their revenue. They care about their view count. They don't truly care about getting the truth out there. It's super important to do your own research and draw your own conclusions. This is how innocent people wind up dead, in jail, or even how otherwise innocent people become killers themselves. Even if it's not firsthand killing, they could ultimately lead someone to their death. Because of fear sold to them by people that they don't even know. And one more thing before we go. Some people became conspiracy theorists based on this event. And this is just a wild little fact. But you guys know the brand Procter & Gamble, P&G, right? They make basically everything. Well, they even came under fire during the satanic panic because people were reading into nothing. And they looked at PNG's logo at the time and their old logo used to be a profile view of the man in the moon facing a total of 13 stars and even though these stars represented the original 13 colonies theorists accused the company of having 13 stars because 13 is satan's favorite number what did, did they ask did they ask satan what his favorite number was i suppose so <laughs> I mean, it only makes sense, right? The people that assume that are Satan worshippers. <laughs> Must be. I just, I don't get it. <laughs> and the the man in the moon has swirls in his hair and his beard, and the swirl in the man in the moon's hair on his head was de- a devil's horn, 
And mm-hmm. another series of innocent swirls, I believe in his beard, became an upside down 666. PNG has since changed their logo. That's why none of us know what it looked like originally. But this is how ridiculous things got. And how ridiculous things can become again and are becoming if we aren't careful. I mean, so look at Monster Energy Drink. The It was Hebrew for 666, or, yeah. and it says Unleash the Beast, so it must be satanic. It's not true. Devil juice at its finest. I, I gotta say, <clears throat> I've drunk a lot of Monster in my time. And... I mean, as far as I know, I've never woke up in the middle of night with my head spinning or anything. So I think we're safe, guys. Because I promise you, I've drank a lot of Monster. And I I would imagine if if there's some kind of demon juice in there, I would be infected. I'm just saying. We've all played lots of D&D and we're not possessed. And all of us drink lots of energy drinks. And Mm. I'm not vomiting split pea soup. Yeah. So, guys, do you want to tell everyone where they can find you in your own projects? Go ahead, Jason. Uh, well, you can find me. Uh, me and my wife stream together uh, different video games and stuff. So you can find me on YouTube, Twitch, and Facebook at Titan underscore 510. And you can find me on YouTube um, at Really Bad Gamer. I'm really bad. It's true. And you can find the collective group of us on Crit Keepers on YouTube playing Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> Summoning demons. Summoning demons. <laughs> exactly. So go check Justin and Jason out on their channels and watch them. Watch one of them game really badly. Watch one of them game pretty well. And watch his wife game pretty well, too. And they play World of Warcraft and Fortnite. And right now they're playing The Forest. Awesome. And that game's super fun. And, you know, when you're done catching up on all their stuff, go catch up on us summoning the demons, as Justin and Aaron said. <laughs> but, uh, no, in all sincerity, we uh, kill baddies, save innocents, and fight for a brighter future for the world of Dawnshire. It's the, there's the whole backstory, a whole thing of lore coming out on that channel. Go look out for it. But that is all I have for this week, so... Stay safe this week, guys. Please always do your own research, no matter what it is. Do your own research to better understand others that you don't understand. And as always, don't get haunted. We will see you guys next Thursday. Cue music. (laughs) 